You're listening to Alcoholics Alive, where recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous share their experience on how they live AA as a way of life. None of our participants get paid or speak for AA. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. Shank, we are quickly approaching... 4,000 followers on the gram. Do we get a virtual chip for that? Uh, well, I think they will send us a virtual chip. Um, so we want to thank our uh, higher power, whom we choose to call God, <laughs> <laughs> for for all of that. Um, no, we, we appreciate all of our listeners, and we appreciate you following us, and we always appreciate feedback. So if you want to hit us up on, on the gram or – Send us an email to freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. We will respond to that as well. We haven't had many emails lately. We have not. It's slowed down a little bit. I don't know if that's um, because we're not being controversial enough for people to send us <laughs> stuff or if everybody's hearing what they like and they, they don't have any comments. Um, but Hey, we appreciate any feedback you have. We did get some feedback recently and we responded to that. And, but any suggestions or comments, or if you have a episode topic you'd like for us to cover, we will, uh, we'll consider that. We're excited about our guest today. Our guest comes all the way from Goochland, Virginia. <laughs> uh, her name is Marcy. Marcy, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jerry. Yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I got sober April 17th, 1995 after um, I only drank from 8 until 20. So I have no experience <laughs> with losing houses and cars and spouses and kids. And I know where all my kids are. I don't have any, so they're real easy to track. Yeah. <laughs> Never lost a house because I never had a house. But I knew if I had had a car, I wouldn't have been like you fools and lost it. Nice. But in all ser seriousness, I really thought I was not an alcoholic because I didn't lose all the stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I What I heard, I have no idea what you said. What I heard was that in order to be an alcoholic, I needed to lose all that stuff. So I don't belong here with you fools. Right. And I I believe that. And um, the only one of the only reasons I came to Alcoholics Anonymous is because I have an older brother that got clean in Narcotics Anonymous in 1989. And I was not going where that fool was. <laughs> so I came to you guys. I came, <laughs> I came here to us. And I I I. I I don't know why we get sober when we get sober. I've thought about it over the years. My last drink was half, one half of a yinling lager. I remember my first drink, my last drink, and then at a year and a half sober, I was going to drink again. And all three of those I remember very distinctly. And I, I was done. I was willing to do anything not to have to live the way I was living. Now, I was hoping that it was going to come with the cars and the houses and the spouses and all that other stuff. 
but I didn't even really care if it did or not. I just, I felt like every time I took a breath, I was wasting air. I just, I wanted that to end. And I got real lucky when I got sober in Richmond. It was just at the beginning of when folks were starting to take the steps out of the big book. So wow. I, you did, I did get lucky. That. I did. I hear a lot of people talk about sober for a long time and finding the steps in all kinds of ways that don't make sense to me, but apparently make sense to them because some of them are sober. Right. So you didn't use Hazelden worksheets or Google sheets or anything like that? The Googler, the Googler, I don't think it was the Googler. (laughs) Ask Jeeves or something, maybe? Did they have Bing worksheets, perhaps? Not in 95, actually. No. no. Mm -mm. AOL? We did have some tapes. We had some tapes. Yeah. And and there there was some um, interesting activity happening around the tapes. But I, I, my, my, I, I was somebody that was captured by a woman that read the book to me word for word. And I, I was young enough to not realize that I should be questioning anything. So I never did. And um, <laughs> I mostly did what was asked of me. Right. So I just didn't understand that you could, I didn't even, I, I had no idea you could object until I started sponsoring women. I was like, what the heck? You can object. I never think that. Yeah, it's probably a good thing. I should say that, so. That you didn't. That you didn't. Yeah. Well, well, thanks for that intro. Um, Shank, what's our topic today? Well, our topic today is we are going. So what we've been doing this season is we have been breaking down the promises in the big book and we are currently on the second sentence so i am just briefly going to go over the first sentence from last week's episode which was if we are painstaking about this phase of our development we will be amazed before we are halfway through so that was last week and we learned that we were halfway through our amends not halfway through the steps nine is not half of 12 great right um, I did not know that for the first several years, so don't feel bad if you also did not know. And um, some semin- synonyms for amazed, stunned, shocked, dumbfounded. Uh, and I believe we came to the conclusion that we were amazed before we were halfway through our amends. We were. And you know what else I learned? This was after the podcast. <laughs> So it actually says before we're halfway through. Yeah. So we could be amazed before we've, so if we've got 50 amends, it could actually happen before you're on the 25th amends. You could be amazed. <laughs> Love it. Oh. I had uh, no idea there were rules to amazement. So yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Come on, Marcy. Yeah, get with it. Also, yeah. I do want to say that what we've been doing, that reminds me, what we've been doing this season is... At the end, after we do um, our battle of the books, we're on step two, round two, we will have Marcy's story. So one thing that I think is very funny about your story, and don't tell the story right now, Marcy, is you talk about a, maybe a bumper sticker um, 
mm-hmm. that someone, a woman who was taking you to meetings, I believe, had. And that is just like one mm-hmm. of the funniest things that seemed kind of, we'll say, psychedelic. Mm-hmm. And that is, I just listened to that several times. So if you're listening to this episode, please listen at the end. Yes. So you can hear her talk. And you're not um, going to tell us what the bumper sticker said. No, I'm not. I want people to uh-huh. listen and then y'all can email us and tell us if we should start selling merch. I'm going to get some made and say that on it. I think, I you think should. that's a great idea. Yeah. I would like to buy two. All right. You'll so we'll we give you two are complimentary. Now currently on the second sentence and the second sentence is we are going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And so what I would like to ask you all um, who have been sober longer than me, uh, why are we going to know like a new freedom and a new happiness? Like, why aren't we just going to know freedom and happiness? Why has it got to be new? Why has it got to be shiny? Marcy, what's your thoughts on that, Marcy? Man, I'm so glad to get to answer that because one of my... I have a very difficult time when I hear my, oh, that's okay. My worst day sober is better than my <laughs> best day drunk. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think, man, you haven't buried a younger brother sober. Mm. You, you, you haven't. <laughs> Cause you know, I, I don't know if you are, but I am rather unique and see, I don't think very <laughs> many people have had the experiences I have had. I have had freedom. I have had freedom well before sobriety. And man, that's why I love drinking. Because it gives me a freedom like nothing I have ever experienced before. And then getting sober. It was not the promise of sobriety that got me sober. When when people talk about, oh, they told me I never had to drink again. I think, oh, you're poor. It's terrible for you. Because <laughs> that was not what got me sober. What got me sober was somebody showing me I didn't have to live the way I was living because I love to drink. And if I could drink, man, and some of the drugs I did, if I could do those, I would do them all day long if I could do them. (laughs) The thing about alcoholics, if we could drink, we'd drink all day long. (laughs) Anyway, the freedom that I have now is not at all like anything I experienced before. So I would submit that's what makes it new is that it is experienced sober and it is experienced by and large in a life that doesn't cause harm to others. Now, I do harm others, absolutely. And sometimes it's because of who I am and I'm not changing that. And sometimes it's because I'm being a jerk and it does need to be addressed and changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know people had different experiences with with drinking, but I certainly, when I wasn't drinking, I wasn't free, and I uh, there was not a whole lot of happiness. Mm-hmm. And when I drank, I would immediately get some freedom and some happiness, and it but it would be short lived because I would eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it I always got that sense of ease and comfort from from those initial first drinks. But almost invariably, it would lead to something like you know, some kind of fight or disruption mm-hmm. or chaos. Uh, um, but in general, right, my life was just, it was kind of dark and 
um, unhappy, I guess would be a, and then turmoil. And that comment you said about your best day, whatever. Yeah. We covered that on an episode one time. It's, it, it's not a good, it's not a good slogan. It's not accurate for me anyway. Um, so I think the, one of the things that I was told was that when I got here, I could recreate my life and that we really weren't building on the old life or trying to, to redesign the old life that we were trying to discard the old life and that we could have something completely new in Alcoholics Anonymous. And so I, I think that's part of what that comment or that sentence is getting at is that, Hey, you're going to, even if you knew freedom and happiness prior to getting sober, it's going to be different this time because it's based on, principle and it's based on faith and it's based on purpose, which is something that, yeah, man, I didn't, you know, we didn't, I mean, we probably drank with a purpose, but there wasn't a whole lot of purpose in life prior to getting sober. So I certainly found new freedom and new happiness here. Mm -hmm. Shank, you, uh, you free? Happy? I am, but you know, anytime I hear the word, well, one of my favorite definitions of freedom is the quality of being frank, open, or outspoken. And I relate dearly with that. So I will say I'm free today. That but, is a beautiful <laughs> definition. But when I really think of like freedom in terms of like very close proximity to my drinking. I mean, you know, I think about losing literally everything, not having anything, but losing literally everything, including my freedom. So um, when I think of a new freedom and a new happiness, I just think of like that day that I left prison, that was such a pain. Um, They didn't know I was leaving. They should have, but um and i think of my parole officer showing up and like during this whole three-hour debacle of are they gonna let me out him calling my dad and when i was leaving the prison this parole officer being just in the worst mood you know just like okay just can you come down to the office tomorrow or something i don't want to deal with this i have so much other stuff to do like go with your dad i don't care and just kind of like the juxtaposition of his bad mood and my good mood, like, oh, my God, I'm free. This is amazing. I'm sober. I'm immediately going to smoke a cigarette, even though I haven't smoked in a year. You know, like, I'm so free and happy right now. So when I think in close proximity to my drinking, that's what I think about. Mm-hmm. So, of course, it was new, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably was. Frank, open, and outspoken, huh? Yeah. People that are awful <laughs> sensitive would call that, that's just too direct. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's mean. I get called mean. mean. Yeah. Mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So. Insensitive. With that insensitive. being said, what, you know, okay, that's kind of like what freedom and happiness, the newness from when close to your drinking what does it look like for you today? Maybe midway through your sobriety, maybe kind of what does it look like now? What do you think, Marcy? So I, I went, I, I get to go to an AA meeting in the prison and the ladies will ask me, well, what do you do for fun? And I love that question. Cause I asked that same question and you guys would tell me, Oh, we go bowling. 
Like, are you kidding me? But <laughs> <laughs> oh, we got a coffee. I was like, that's horrible. I get to do anything I want. Mm-hmm. I get to go anywhere I want. And there's nothing stopping me, baby. And and that means physically I can go anywhere I want, but I get to have conversations with people. I've never, I mean, I talk about sex with the old biddies I knit with. I'm a ferocious <laughs> knitter. And, and ooh, I, <laughs> one of the best. That's true freedom. Yeah. They'll tell me what happens as you get older. And man, nobody has to tell me that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's stuff I, I want to know what's going to happen as if I stay in this marriage, which hopefully, God willing, we will. They speak with true freedom, huh? Yeah. 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 And I, Mm. I have gotten, I am somebody that did not leave a five mile radius. And I, and I say this, I've gotten real caught up with what, what I heard a lot of people talk about for years is that they knew they were an alcoholic because of how their outside circumstances looked. And they knew that they were sober because of how their outside circumstances looked. And I've had experiences where I've been sober and right on track, but things are falling apart all around me. Yeah. My brother's dying. My um, marriage is questionable because grief is a tough test for a marriage, I'll tell you. Nobody in Alcoholics understands me because, you know, I'm so terminally unique. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I have been given power to walk through that. I would not say that I rose above it. Maybe I did. I don't know. But it wasn't anything I did either way. Whatever happened, I was granted power for whatever experience that was. And, um, yeah, the the whole, so freedom today looks like that in all of that those experiences, I am okay, even when I have the most judgment on myself. Because I'm not so afraid of you judging me. I am terrified when I look at my own life and it doesn't measure to what I believe it should be. You, I can just cut you out of my life and walk away. But when it doesn't make sense to me, that's when it's very terrifying. And it's very difficult to tell other people that's what I'm experiencing. And that's that's been a freedom too, is to tell people, look, I'm having difficulty at home and I'm 20, 18 years sober and that's that doesn't make any sense. I'm very upset with everyone in Alcoholics Anonymous and all you do is love me, but I can't stand you. I've had that experience. (laughs) So. I like the, uh, you said you can do whatever you want to do. Um, Mm -hmm. I think one of the other definitions of freedom is unrestricted use. Mm. And I, I, um, because it's it is true that that I mean now I mean I I'm not living in that self conscious mode, and I'm not always constantly worried about what people are thinking about me or what you know what they're doing. All that stuff was nonsense in my head anyway. They they were thinking about themselves. They really weren't thinking about me. Mm-hmm. But it's it is one of the freedoms is that we we can do whatever we want to do now, and we do have like unrestricted access to power and to, to, to people and to things that, you know, that weren't available prior to getting sober. And it's one of the freedoms that's, that's happened to me is that, I mean, I, I lived in this like self-constructed 
you know, like bubble where I thought everybody was thinking about me. Everybody was talking about me. Something would come on the news. Somebody robbed a bank or did something crazy. And I would wonder if they, if, if everybody thought it was me. I mean, that's how like self-conscious I was. It's just, no, they thought it was Brian. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> and, you know, that's gone. That, you know, that, you know, of just thinking that the world revolves around me and the, the, the steps have, and even the ninth step specifically, um, I mean, I had amends that I never thought I was going to be able to get through them. You know, and I had some financial amends that looked impossible to, to rectify. I had some relationships with family that I never thought would get resolved or amended. And by taking simple actions slowly over time and being willing to do something about it, all those things got resolved. And then you're almost, when you get, when you, when you get right with the world and right with people around you, you almost have like just a, an open runway for your life to, to basically do and accomplish whatever you want to do and accomplish. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, that's a, that's a, it's a great thing. And not to mention we're free from the obsession to drink. Yeah. Yeah. There is that too. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty important. Yeah. yeah. It, it's been pretty fairly remarkable. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Marcy, tell us about one of men's that helped you to become free. Man. If you got one. I'll tell that you. you can... I, well, it, the ones in the beginning, those felt much easier as I look back on them than the ones that I have made in sobriety. Because in the beginning, it felt like, well, I was drinking. And see, now that I'm not drinking, I won't do that anymore. And the truth is, now that I'm sober, I'm making the, going back to you with the same thing because I have done it again, because I am human. My hope is that I will not do it as much or as often, or I will become willing to come to you with it more often. So <laughs> my favorites is my older sister and I were talking. I don't even remember what I had done. I think it was something about not remembering her birthday or bringing her a cake. I don't even remember what it was. But I said, listen, sissy, I was wrong. I should not have done that. I, I wish I had done something else. And what, what have I done anything else to hurt you? And she said, you know, I really wish that you would brought me the cake or whatever it was. And she said, I said, well, what may I do to make it right? She said, say you're sorry. And I said, well, sissy, we don't do that in alcoholics. And we're done. <laughs> Four or five times that we went back and forth with that. And finally, I just, it's like, yep. I cannot believe she is this patient with me and loves me so much that she just said, well, say you're sorry. And finally, I said, you know what, sissy, I am sorry. I was wrong. And there is another, and it seems so trifling, but this other one, I, I was out running. I run with a group of women and one of the women had stayed behind and I ran ahead and I thought she turned around and put her dogs back in the car and wasn't running with us anymore. Come to find out, I never wait. Well, she was running with us. I never waited for her. 
So she ran whatever we were running that day by herself. And I was talking to my sponsor. I was like, she's so upset with me. And it was an accident. And my sponsor says, well, tell her you're wrong. And I said, well, but I wasn't. It was an accident. She said, that's exactly what being wrong is. (laughs) Uh, It is, isn't it? It's an accident. It is. And those are the Uh ones that, because I, I got caught up in the, I don't want you to think I was doing you dirty intentionally. So I'm not going to tell you I'm wrong. And it doesn't take away, it doesn't make me being wrong. I'm still wrong. It absolutely was wrong. I thought she'd turned around. I was wrong. She had not. She was running with us. And that simple, it sounds so trifling when she was describing it to me. And when I had the conversation with my girlfriend, she said, yeah, thanks. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) And we're able to form a new relationship. That's the other thing is a new freedom allows for new relationships Yeah, in my experience. Yeah. Well, that's, All right. that, that also shows you how sim- simple the program and principles really are. Absolutely. Yeah. Shank, what, uh, you want to go into the battle of the books? Let's go on to battle of the books. Uh, let's get ready to rumble. Are y'all ready? We're step two, round two. Our battle of the books are a step each week. Uh, This week we're on step two where we battle it out from the big books of Alcoholics Anonymous versus the 12 by 12. All right. So for step two, round two, out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, page 47, we have... We needed to ask ourselves but one short question. Do I now believe or am I even willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? As soon as a man can say that he does believe or is willing to believe, we emphatically assure him that he is on his way. It has been repeatedly proven among us that upon this simple cornerstone, a wonderfully effective spiritual structure can be built. That was a mouthful. All right. And for the 12 by 12 on page 33, we have, therefore, step two is the rallying point for all of us. Whether agnostic, atheist, or former believer, we can stand together on this step. True humility in an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. Oh, no, not every AA meeting. (laughs) (laughs) oh no i i have a bit of contention to pick with that right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) hit it let's hear it oh no i have been to some i think they're b&b meetings is what um the old timers call them because they're something but they ain't a and a (laughs) (laughs) yep hmm well, Marcy, so what do you think about these two readings? I mean, we, we already know what you think about the second one. but mm-hmm. As soon as a man is even willing to say that he believes, he is well on his We emphatically, it's not that he's well on his way, but we emphatically assure him. Is that what it said, Shank? Yes. Yeah. 
that's that's pretty powerful the emphaticalness of it all <laughs> yes yes but it's it goes back to the old story of um just a little teeny bit just just try and i think of i hope that most folks have seen indiana jones such an important movie on the spiritual path yes when he's walking across the bridge and he believes that but then he stops believing and the bridge disappears and then he <laughs> believes again and the bridge is that is my light that, that is that's <laughs> that's the best image for me of the spiritual way of life there have been so many bridges that have formed out of nothing i'm like how the heck did i end up in africa (laughs) (laughs) and i got to go to africa and i don't leave a five mile radius in my entire life so that's i think that is some powerful stuff just just try my favorite was my sponsor asked me she said marcy what do you have to lose from what you have described it because she spent the time asking me about my life and I described my life to her and she said with all that being said even if this is all baloney what do you have to lose yeah not much your life well one thing that I think is also interesting in the 12 by 12 reading is it says whether agnostic atheist or former believer and Alcoholics Anonymous is not anti-religion. You know, like if you have religion, if you are a believer, if you have God or something, you address that also. I mean, the book tells us like uh. that doesn't mean that you don't participate in AA or that you don't work your steps. It means that you, in addition yeah. to, you know, like you also participate in that. So I don't like how it makes it sound like we're just all in here. And a lot of us are atheists, agnostic, former believers, but it just always like really irritates me when I have friends in AA or I know new people, you know, new people from our church where we meet will come to our meeting. And if we're just sitting there saying we're anti, you know, I'm a recovering Baptist or whatever, like it just uh-huh. is so it's just yeah. like very passive aggressive you know there are people that still yeah. are believers and good for them they're still yeah. alcoholics so it didn't solve their problem they're right here with us you know it's mm-hmm. not like but shank according to the reading it's this is the rallying point for all of us what the hell does that mean <laughs> here's the thing that that's interesting to me marcy pointed it out but so I you know I had a lot of folks Marcy knew some of them too that that got sober in the 50s and 60s that helped us get sober. And they would always talk about the watering down of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I mean they had lots of experience and lots of theories on on all that. Well, I figured it out with this reading. It's it, so he wrote this in '53. So right there is the first watering down of Alcoholics Anonymous when he says every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to Him. That is garbage. I mean, I hate. I mean, I hate to sound so negative about it, but that's got to be one of the, the dumbest statements in the book. And every AA meeting. 
just weird. Very weird. So now we're moving from principles and steps as being, and God being the, the center of recovery to the meeting. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. I was told if we didn't ever have another AA meeting, I would still be, if I never went to an, this is what's interesting is people stop going to AA meetings. Well, this is a whole other thing. We're with you though. Go ahead. We're following. And there's, they're no longer members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but that's not what makes it is what helps me, um, reminds me to pray and to help out. It's also where I find others to help. But it is not so I will feel better. That's a huge pet peeve of mine is, oh, I need a meeting. No, what you need is to go find somebody to help and get your head out of your tusca. Yeah, yeah. Pray and go help somebody is what you need Mm -hmm. to do. Yeah, Yeah. it's because it's what I need to do. It's exactly what has been helpful to me when I am full of fear, which this weekend, oh, my prayer became God to show me who I can help. Yeah. Yeah, if you get to the point where you need a meeting, it's too late. Yep, that's <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So All right. So the first, well, the first reading, Shank, real quick, I think gives a specific direction on how to take step two. Right? It's one short question: Do you believe, or are you even willing to believe? And once you make, yeah, you know, if you're willing to do that, then as Marcy said, we'll emphatically assure you that you're on your way. And the step two is no more difficult than that. It's just. But I feel like I need to have a, a star. Yes. Can I get a star with that? We're going to send you a virtual star after the meeting. Okay. After the meeting. Then nobody uh, will be around to see my receipt. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. So for round yeah. two, Marcy, which reading would you like to keep? Oh. The first, please, ma'am. Okay. The ANA book one. Jay Wayne. I'm going with the the reading from page 47 out of the book Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, we are all three in agreement that we are keeping the reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We'll just scrap the 12 by 12, and um. It is not every AA meeting that is an assurance from God that will restore us to sanity if we rightly relate ourselves to him. <laughs> what does that even mean? I mean, it's just crazy. All right. So the big book wins round two. It's there, so right. far. So far, the big book is undefeated. So far, Under- we'll see what happens. All right. Yep. I'm tuning in next week. There's not, there's uh 10 more rounds. So stay tuned for that. Marcy, we, uh, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your experience on a new freedom and a new happiness. Thank you. Thank you for asking me and thinking of me. It's been nice. Yes. And, uh, if you're out there, you've take the steps, you can become free and you can become happy. So remember that. And also if you would, you keep listening for more of Marcy's story. I'm Marcy and I am an alcoholic. Um, Old man Bill asked me if I was nervous and I said, yeah, because I want you to just think I'm so fantastic and and all we have is our experience, right? 
Uh, my sobriety date is April 17, 1995. So a few statistics that are important to me when I hear you share is, do you have a home group? Yes. Do you have a sponsor? Yes. How old were you when you got sober? How old are you now? I don't know why, but those are really important statistics for me. I'm 48. I was 20 when I got sober. And every year, it's shocking when somebody asks how long I'm sober. And I tell them because I'm like, it's just bizarre. I can't believe I'm still alive. I truly, honestly thought I was going to be dead by the time I was 21. It's, it's like at crow's feet now, the little lines. I, I just think that's brilliant. My, um, my hair texture has changed. I never, I never knew that happened. Like, it's just, it's, I, sobriety is really a gift. And um, I will tell you, I have spent a lot of time telling people what I do to stay sober. And then I'll say what a gift it is. <laughs> it's like, really? And then I'll also do this other thing where I'll tell people, don't you worry about what I'm doing. Mind your own business. And then the next breath, I'm giving you a list of all of the things that I have done to be helpful and kind to you. <laughs> so that's who you have before you tonight. Um, Jen, before the meeting, sent me over this thing from the 12, the 12 and 12, we were talking. And AA's 12 steps are a group of principles, spiritual in their nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, can expel. My understanding of the word expel is remove entirely the obsession to drink and enable the sufferer to become happily and usefully whole. And that's, that's what's happened. We, I was talking to Hector before the meeting, and I said, um, we were saying something about drunkologues. And I said, well, when you get sober at 20, you really don't have much of one. I started drinking when I was 8, and I first came to you when I was 14, because my older brother got clean in Narcotics Anonymous when I was 14, and I knew I'd made a very big mistake. <laughs> you guys are well put together, showered. And I was like, oh, man. There's no place here for a punk kid that's 14 years old. I mean, can you imagine if a 14-year-old walked in the room tonight, I, I wouldn't do a double take. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's out of the ordinary for somebody that young to walk into a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's, I don't know what you said, but what I heard was go home and be a good little girl. And the reason that I came to you was because I could not possibly go to Narcotics Anonymous because... That's where my older brother went. And if you are the person that got sober first in your family, I feel for you. Because that is a tough road. I am not the first to get sober clean in my family. Thank you, God. Because we did horrible things. My older, I drank with my older brother and my older sister. So when you said change everyone, I was like, brother, I got news for you. That's not happening. And... I, I still talked to, to the degree that they would allow me, my older brother and my older sister. Um, but anyway, I did get sober when I was 20, and I, don't, I have no idea why this got me sober. I cannot tell you. A woman I was running around with, I did a lot of drugs. I also slept around a lot. I stole a lot. I'm not really clear why in Alcoholics Anonymous, I will, what I think I hear is, 
all the things that you stole, all the people that you slept around with, and then we come to drugs and we say, I respect the primary purpose of Alcoholics Anonymous, so I'll tell you a powdery white substance. I'm like, that's called cocaine. Are we not allowed to say that in Alcoholics Anonymous? Like, it's okay. Now, I am also not raised by my biological parents, so I come to the table with a lot of other things. I know here with you, all you can help me with is my alcoholism. There is nothing you can do with my obsession to steal, my obsession to be the best, but I don't want you to notice me too much. And all of the other weird idiosyncrasies I come to the table with. But I do have experience with some bizarre behavior. One of those is with drugs. I did a lot of drugs because they were easier to get underage than alcohol. And I honestly, I thought I was a drug addict until I talked to some drug addicts. And the way that I do drugs is this. I do them and I do them and I do them. And then there becomes a stopping point, just like there does with our drinking. And I walk away. With my drinking, I pick it up again. Now, in my mind, there's a hierarchy. It doesn't make sense, but neither does much of my life, right? That's why I'm here. And it's like, oh my gosh, if you do that drug, you're just scum. So I was hanging out with a woman that did that drug, and she told me she was getting clean. And I'm like, that sounds great, because that means she's going to drink a lot. I love to hang out with drug addicts, because when they get clean, they drink like I like to drink. And it makes perfect sense for me to be hanging out with you. So we go down to Florida, which I, it's really interesting to me, because the spiritual path is very easy, and it's very clear. And this is one of the most complicated plans I've ever had in my life. We're going to Florida so we can get clean from this drug. And I, I, I did a lot of blacking out, and I'd wake up, and I'd be like, I, I don't know what's happening right now, but here we are. I was in a fist fight, like a physical fisticuffs. And I come out of a blackout, and I'm like, could we just introduce ourselves? I don't, I don't even, I'm not a fighter. I'm not like a big woman, and I was even smaller then. And it's just, it's just bizarre. So... We're down in, like, we get to Alabama, and I'm like, oh, crap, what are we doing? Like, why aren't we in Richmond? Because I stayed in the fan within, like, a five-mile radius. I never left. But I would tell you I'm free, and I'm really scared if things change. You're going to imprison me. But I never left a five-mile radius. Whatever. Our, our thinking, my thinking is just weird. So we pull up, and there used to be, like, I love how Jen describes the, um, the, um, Slogans, Jalen, thank you for sharing. Jen, thank you for sharing. And um, th but we used to have these bumper stickers, and they were holographic. And I, I love acid. I love anything that can take me out of myself. And this sticker reminded me of something I love to look at when I'm tripping acid. And and it said, "Taking a trip, not taking a trip." And I was like, "Gosh, I'm home. This makes perfect sense." And, and he talked to me about my drinking in a way I had never understood. Because I know many of you have spilled more than I ever drank. You've drank longer than I thought about drinking. What happens to me when I drink is I don't know. I have no idea. And with that, I will put it down and it will be completely out of my body. It takes about, what, three days for that to happen. And then I end up drinking again. It makes perfect sense to me for why I need to drink again. That is fundamentally what makes me an alcoholic. 
And some of you have these brilliant stories about how you were in jail and you made the hooch and the hooch would explode. I love hearing that stuff. I think it's fantastic. It's not my story. Mine is my mommy asked me to leave the house because I can't come home when I'm supposed to. I tell her I'll be home by 11.30 and three days later I'm home and she's rightfully worried and I say, best I can tell it's before 11.30. I don't know why you're fussing. And I'm dead serious. And, that, and that's what happens is um, I, I, looking back, put people in a position where they question themselves. Like, why would I, I know exactly what she's saying, be home by 11.30. And three days later I show up, but somehow it's your fault. Let me switch it all around. And that makes sense to me. I, that is what I believe makes sense to me. And, and I don't have things in my life that are good and decent. And I feel like every breath I take is a waste of oxygen. And I feel like I just don't belong. But I want you to fix that for me. And when you do not, I am furious with you for it. So that's how I arrive in Florida. And I see this taking a trip, not taking a trip. And we go in. And a man's there. Thank you, God. Because I believe, had it been a woman, I would not have stuck around. Because I believe that women treated other women the way I treated women. And that was deplorable. It was not kind. And so I could not be in the same space as someone that reflected any of that to me. So he talked to me about my drinking in a way that I have heard before. I, I remember having a conversation with my dad, like, the first or second time I drank. And I was, like, eight years old when he had this conversation with me. And when I read in the doctor's opinion that if you um, draw this reasoning to an alcoholic, they'll laugh it off or become irritated and refuse to talk. And I was like, holy crap, how'd they know that about me? Because my dad was asking me about my drinking. I said, come on, Dad. I mean, my God in heaven, I just moved in here. I, my life has been really tough, and it had been. I, it was, the state doesn't come and pluck you out of a home because things are on the upswing. And so things were truly, really tough. And he said, do you ever, at the time, this was 1983, and E.T. was a big deal, and Reese Pieces, and he said, What's your favorite candy? And I said, Reese's Pieces. And he said, do you ever buy a big bag? And I said, well, heck yeah. He said, do you ever eat half of it? I said, now why would I go and do a thing like that? He said, that's how I think your drinking is going to be. And that's exactly right. That's exactly how my drinking was. We were laughing before the meeting um, out in the country. And we were talking about how when you're preparing for a storm, you always get like a couple of cases of beer to prepare and the real, the real beast of it is when you drink it all, and it hasn't even started, the wind hasn't even started to blow, and you're almost out of your storm preparedness stockpile. And so I, I, I at some point, like, I could always draw on that. Go down to Florida, this guy talks to me about my drinking, I come home, and 30 days later I'm drinking again. And I wanted to be sober. I wanted to be here. I, I believed what you said, and I did not even care that you were saying stuff like, go home, be a good little girl, I spilled more than you ever drank. I, I didn't care. I'm, honestly, I don't even know if that's what you said. I have, that's one of the great things about telling our stories is, I have no idea what the truth is. 
I can only tell you what I think it was as I stand before you today. And I can only tell you what my experience is, that you might have the exact same incidents happen in your life and your experience entirely different. That is okay. It doesn't make me right and you wrong. Don used to talk about, Valerie, um, her sponsor used to talk about, we can both be right and we can both be wrong. I was like, I don't even know what that guy's talking about. It's been like in the past three days, I feel like I have a little idea of what he was talking about. So <clears throat> I go to this meeting. I was on a mission to find the cool kid meeting. Now, this is what's beautiful is it's Alcoholics Anonymous. We're all a bunch of bizarre people cobbled together in a room, and I want to be with the cool kids. So I, I really trust that God uses what's at hand. And there was a meeting over on um, Midlothian Turnpike at the Rebos Club. It's sober backwards. It's so cool, right? <laughs> and there's a lot of cigarette smoke. and oh, There's a lot of cool kids gathered up in that place. And they did this thing where at the end of the meeting, you raise your hand if you can be a sponsor. So I picked out the prettiest woman I saw and asked her to be my sponsor. And she comes over and is talking to me. And I was like, oh, crap. I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> this woman has no, there's nothing I relate to about her. She was not, she was raised by at least one of her parents. She, she was a fashion model and she's got the portfolio pictures to prove it. And I'm some punk kid that hasn't bathed in one year plus. And I don't even understand why we're having this conversation right now. And I, I hated her, I hated the meeting, I hated everything about it. I did not come to AA and feel like I came home. I hated all of you. And then you were kind enough to invite me to coffee after the meeting, and I went, and I hated you. And you were kind enough to invite me over to your house, and I went, and I hated you. I did not feel at home, I did not feel a part of. I believe that I was just dumb. I, was, I had the gift of desperation, and I hated that you told me that. Oh, the gift of desperation, honey. I was like, I'll show you a thing or two about being desperate. I mean, I just I, I hated all of that stuff. And we went through the steps, and, and my life changed entirely. It is nothing. I, if you had told me I would have the life I have today, like as a lure for me to get and stay sober, I'd have told you to keep it. I've been married to the same man for 20, this is 23 years. Thank God we got married in 1999 because I can do the math real easy with that one. <laughs> It'll be 24 in October. Um, I've lived in the same house since 2008. Like, ugh, it just sounds so boring. And, and I really believed that's even in sobriety, I have believed that's what sobriety is. Is Okay, you got sober, and now tell me about the job you've had for years and years and years. I've had more jobs than most of you have had pairs of shoes. I mean, I've had so many jobs. I have been fired sober. I have quit sober. I have, um, I'm at my job now, and it's like the, one of the longest I've ever had, and I haven't even been there two and a half years. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> What sobriety has been for me is my life makes sense. That um, what I do today makes sense. I went on a plane to Denmark 
for a knitting retreat. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. And went to some meetings in between and had a blast. I mean, I, what about riding the motorcycle around Europe? Like, what happened to that? I don't, it, it's not the And what's, what really drilled that home for me is I'd go to the penitentiary and I'd talk to the, meeting, the women in the meeting out there and, man, talk about some hard times. And more than one woman would say, it's not that bad. And I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, you're sitting here in the penitentiary. You, you weren't even the first person to wear those panties you have on right now. Like, are you serious? And that has nothing to do with my alcoholism. Because if my life still makes sense to me today, I will not change, drunk or sober. There's, there's no, it doesn't matter if I'm wearing whatever. Does my life make sense to me today as I am right here, right now? And it does, but there are parts where I really hope do change. I really, it would be really nice to have a job longer than five years maximum. I mean, that'd be really surprising to have that W-2 for that long of a stretch. It's never been my experience. Whatever. It is really nice that I have a relationship with my parents, that I have a relationship with all of my siblings. I am one of ten and there are um, eight of us left. My two younger brothers both passed away. One of them, many of you were by my side when he passed. It was in 2013, and he, um, it was horrible. And, and I was really mad with everyone because you'd stand up at the podium, every single one of you. <laughs> now, just so you know, anytime one of my resentments is all, never, nothing, it's not the full truth, has been my experience. Every single one of you would stand up at the podium and you'd say, I never had the courage to kill myself. And I, every time I heard that, would just about come out of my skin and go after your jugular. I mean, it just drove me crazy. And I wanted to explain to you why you needed to stop saying that. Thank God something shifted within me. You do not need to stop saying that. That is your experience. You can say whatever you want to say. My experience is my younger brother died by suicide. I do not believe that was God's will. I do believe that I, there is a merciful God that allows us our own free will. It's fine if there's a different belief or a different experience. That's okay. And I have existed where it's not. And that's a, that's a really tough place for me to exist. And that's also interesting is because I've, People will tell me what I need to change and how I need to be, and and I would say, okay, well, but you know, it's none of your business. Okay, that's great. I am so happy that you believe that for me. It doesn't mean that I need to do a darn thing because this is about our queen. It's so important that we be true to ourselves, that we could put any slogan we wanted on our coin, and what we put on our coin is to thine own self be true. That means that it is important that I ask my creator what I should be. That's what's important, is what I should be. And I believe any action taken in love is the perfect action. I was fired up with one of my girlfriends. Whew, it's happened a lot. I'd love to tell you that was like when I was a year or so. That's not the case. I was fired up with her, and, and I knew that 
I never needed to talk to her again. She didn't invite me somewhere where I knew I needed to be invited, and I was fired up. And what happened was I did what I believe was the next loving thing. And I sent her congratulations, and I um, sent a gift, and I, and I said, you know, I'm so happy that you're, this is where you are. I believe that was, no, she doesn't owe me an invite. She doesn't owe me a thing. Our whole relationship is a gift. My job is to show up for that gift. And then I got into this whole battle about, well, I'm not going to be anyone's doormat. And I'm the fool that woke up and said, God, you take me. You do with me as you see fit. For me in my life, I believe that means any action where the next step is love, that is exactly the right step. That is exactly the right action. And there is no possibility for me to be a doormat in that, in that when I'm acting out of love. It's okay. I am safe and I am protected because God is bigger than all of that. And that's, that's what I believe. And it's okay if it's something different for, for you. And that's, oh my God, I can't tell you how much I have spent um, trying to convince you why I'm right. Whew. I mean, that is so important to me because we can't understand each other unless you understand how right I am. Um, and my family, like I've spent years explaining my family and I'm adopted and my parents are alive, so it's not really like I'm adopted. And then when my parents died, both my biological parents died within six months of each other and and I shouldn't be upset because they didn't really raise me, but I'm so upset. And I was. And it was a tough relationship with both of my biological parents. It's not at all what makes sense to me as a parent, but it's exactly what it was. And I got to show up with love. And my father did things in his last days and how he left things that I do not agree with at all. And I got to do things the way that makes sense to me. And maybe I'm dishonoring the deceased or maybe I'm honoring love. I don't know. I still don't know. And there's, like, I really believed that you guys knew what was happening here. And if I just, like, what I would do is I'd find the cool kid, old man Bill, or whoever it is, because that guy's been sober since the dawn of man. And he'd say, well, this is what I do. And I'm like, he and me too. This is what I do too. Instead of just going and seeing what makes sense to me. That's really, that's been the tough work for me is going and making the amends. And I've made some amends where I, I did go back to one of my friends that just so happened to be, I don't know about you, but I, I became friends. I love to be friends with people I fancy to be in high places. And I was friends with one of my drug dealers and I stole from him. And I went back and I, I paid back that money. It doesn't mean you go back and pay back that money. That's my experience. It made sense to me to pay it back. It made sense to me that he knows that's not the type of friend that I want to be. It, 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 so he went and spent it on drugs. or he did. I don't have any idea. It wasn't my money. I also stole money from a place where I worked, and I went to pay that back. And he said, no, it'll, it's really confusing to the bookkeeping. I was like, sweet. I get to keep that. And I made the huge mistake of telling one of my friends, and he said, honey, that was never your money. You keep that, and you, you, he said, I suspect you'll drink again. Who knows? Maybe I wouldn't have. Maybe it would have all been fine. I don't know, because my experience is I put that money somewhere else. 
because it was never my money. And I was not paying anyone back. I was giving back what was never mine to take anyway. And the, the same, I, one of my sisters, um, I forgot what we were, we were fussing about something and, and shocking. And she said, I want you to apologize. And I said, oh, we don't apologize. I was wrong. What can I do to make it right? She said, I want you to apologize. I said, we don't apologize. I was wrong. What can I do to make it right? And I'd like to tell you, like, then I did what she asked me to do, but it was probably like three or four more times we go around like that. And I said, you know what? You are right. I'm wrong, and I am sorry. I asked you what I can do to make it right. You've told me, and I've been unwilling to hear you. Because I'm so caught up in what I think you and AA want me to do, I can't even hear, and I have no idea what you and AA want me to do because I can't even hear that anyway. But I put all these things in my head about what I think other people want. I can't even really hear the voice of my loving creator that I'm the one that said, God, you do with me whatever you want. I can't even hear it because I'm too lazy to listen, and so I keep asking you, and then when you tell me, I can't even hear you. It's just this weird, it doesn't even make sense because it is insane. That's why it doesn't make any sense. And I've gotten to just sit quietly sometimes, and I've had some neat experiences with that where I have um, forcibly sat quietly, and then I fall asleep. We call that sleep potating in my house. <laughs> and then I've had active meditation where I'm running and I'm, I'm whirl in sync with um, what my creator wants. And I'm in prayer and it makes perfect sense to me. And I get done and I make that phone call where the person's like, oh my God, this is perfect timing. No kidding. When I was in Denmark, I walk into this um, store and I'm talking to a woman. No idea how we started on this conversation, and I, um, I, somehow it came up that my younger brother died, and that one died by suicide, and another one died as they were resuscitating him after a surgery. That's how my other younger brother died. And I said, you know, it's, it's really tough when a brother died. I think she may have told me hers did, but we spent like an hour visiting. Her brother had just been murdered, and there's no crime in Denmark, so the press has been all over her about what's happening, and it's just been tremendously stressful. And I'm with this other woman, and she says, I can't believe that happened. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'd be shocked if it didn't happen. Like, and I just looked at her, and I said, yeah, it's pretty surprising what happens. But the conversations, and it's more often than not that something comes out of my mouth Oftentimes it isn't appropriate, but sometimes I'm like, holy crap, why didn't you even ask that? And it's exactly on target, and it's exactly right. And, and then when I have that experience, one of, my, one of my favorite tactics is, is to say, aren't I fantastic? Aren't you so happy I'm in your life? <laughs> Instead of remembering, I asked my creator what he would have me be. That the power that it flows through me. So I can be an example of God's powerful creation. But I sure love it when you think I'm powerful. Because <laughs> it, it just is great. But then if I make a mistake, that's not really my fault. I don't know why you're up in my business. You need to move along. Thank you very much. We're, we all are doing the best we can around here. It's just, 
It's completely insane. Um, oh, gosh, and I, I called my mom a few years ago. One of my friends was in a car accident, and she, her blood alcohol level was just insane. And um, they, she had her kid in the car, and it was tragic. And um, so we're going to court about what to do with with the child. And um, I call my mom. I'm like, Mom, I'm going to court. I don't know what to do. I mean, what, what do I have? <laughs> she says, stop being such a... Ducking <laughs> baby, put your girl, big girl panties on, go to court. You're not driving an hour each way, leaving five kids at home so you can go to court. Because in my custody case, my mom drove from Mannequin Sabbath up to Fredericksburg, my, both my parents did, to go to court at the minimum in the beginning once a week. And then it dropped down to once a month, and then it dropped down to like once a quarter and once a year leaving five kids at home to make sure that I had somewhere safe to be. And I would tell other people what was happening. They're like, you're so great. I'm like, I know. Isn't that great? It's good to be me and so great. And my, I tell my mom, and she says, you stop being such a baby. You get in that car and you do God's work. She said, I have my tubes tied after the fifth child, and I get three more. So I want to hear crap for crap for <laughs> And, and I've gotten, to, I found out my, um, my dad, his um, cancer, his prostate cancer metastasized. And it's really scary. My parents still really love each other. It's rare, right? They've been married like 53, 54 years. And they truly, um, I don't know how much they love each other, but they sure put on a good show and make it look good. <laughs> um, and I went by there last night and... Um, they're both just kind of dazed walking around. And, and I'm not, I, I want to say that I'm the rock, but that's so arrogant. Sometimes um, those that I have leaned on my whole life, then just, they just need a little um, lean in too. And when I was, one of the women in Denmark, when I was there, I was telling her about my dad's prostate coming back and, and it's fantastic because English as, as her second language, she said things in a way that I, um, I may not have been listening well enough had you said it to me because you just speak English so fluently. I don't always hear what you're saying, but I have to listen a little bit more when it's somebody's second language. She said the tough thing about riding this train of life is that we want to exit at the right stop. We don't want to exit too early. and We don't want to stay on the train too long. We want to make sure we're at our right stop because we just have one shot to get at the right stop. So I've just been sending up prayers that um, to be shown what the I I don't know how to support somebody who's been a rock in my life my whole life. I don't know how to not be completely surprised and demand something different when that relationship changes. I I don't know how to do. I've never done that before. And what happens is it looks like you know exactly what you're doing. So I'm comparing what is going on within me to what I believe is happening in your life. And I'm coming up short, and I don't understand why I'm coming up short. And the beauty is, even if I'm coming up short, it doesn't matter, because this is about my experience with my Creator. And 
you don't get to live my life, and I don't get to live your life. And I thought, you know what? We can just get this drinking thing a little a little better. And if maybe a sibling would let me come live with them, get my feet under me, and maybe if I could get a little bit of money, because that's what I really need is a little bit of money. And I heard you guys talk about how you were overpaid in every area of your life. And I'm like, well, then come up off some of it and help us to start. What's the problem? And, and it always had to do with what was happening out here. You, I've had this job for 30 years. I've had this, this for this long, this for this. And it's really tough not to get into that, like, as far as, like, this is how I know that I'm sober and I'm on a spiritual path. The beginning of 2020, I had no job, staying at home. Um, husband was getting on my nerves because I was staying at home with him. He was staying at home with me. Um, and I thought, well, am I even really sober? I was ha- at which home group do I go to? I don't even know. Who's my sponsor? I don't know that either. And, and see, I'm not even really sober. And thank God some of you were like, you know what? What your life looks like out here has nothing to do with what is going on inside. What is happening inside? It might have something to do with it. It might not. But tell me what's going on within you. Tell me what your prayer life is like. Tell me how many alcoholics you are helping. Tell me what is going on and how you are being an example of God's ever-advancing creation. <laughs> that's like, that's huge. And, and then what happens is I, I'm like, yeah, I'm an example of God's ever-advancing creation. Aren't you happy for me? I mean, look at how powerful I am. And it's, that's the tricky is just to stay in that I am a conduit of our creator. I don't know where I'm going because I don't know where God wants me to be. I have no idea. Like, of course I have a three and a five and a ten year plan. And I'm sure God's laughing. It's fantastic, though, because it keeps me busy. (laughs) So why not do it? Go do it. Enjoy yourself. Who cares? I'm very glad that you have shown me how to be. I really thought so much of this was about what do I do next and what do I do now and what do I do and what do I do? And you have told me over and over and over, what would God have you be? And I really believe any action taken out of love is the perfect action. And sometimes it is an inaction. That just sitting still, that's really tough. I'm a mover and I'm a goer and I'm a doer. That's why I've had so many freaking jobs. One of the many reasons. That and you get on my nerves and i got to go. Um, there's, that list is long. Um, <laughs> But I, and I'm glad for that. And I'm glad that you've shown me how to be a friend, and you've shown me how to be a wife and a daughter and a great auntie. I'm like one of the best aunties. You can just ask Isabel. She will tell you that I'm fantastic. But she loves her auntie Jen far more. Um, <laughs> I, I really, really thought that um, not drinking was, was, was the work. And for me, the work has been staying in connection with my creator and telling you what's happening, telling you my fears, telling you um, what I'm scared of next. And I I really, I I was telling a woman the the other day, I don't know why some people get sober and stay sober. I don't know why I got sober at 20. I'd love to tell you it's because 
I got involved and I started, and I did. I did get involved. I did go through the steps. I did get a service position. I did get a home group. I still have that. I'm talking with the penitentiary about starting the AA meeting out there again and all of that. But I don't know why I'm so I didn't like you. I didn't want to be here with you. If you'd asked me if I was done and willing to do anything, I would have told you to shove it. Because I didn't want to be here. I wasn't happy about it. And you've not saved my life. You've given me a life. My life is recreated. It does not look like anything it does. I have some of the same like outside stuff, but it's entirely different because I answer to a different boss. When I got here, I certainly didn't answer to the same boss I do now. And I'm very glad for you. Thank you for letting me share. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.